Here we go, Monday edition of PFTPM, week three Sunday in the books. There's a Stanley Cup final game tonight, so I've heard. I found my Penguins half zip, go quarter stars. zip, whatever it is, third zip, just to I, it's all I have. I have a Bruins floating around somewhere, too, but I couldn't find it, so I went with Penguins. So I guess I'm supporting the Stars, although the Penguins did beat the Stars 29 years ago to win the franchise's first Stanley Cup title. That was when they were the Minnesota North Stars before they moved to Dallas and became the Stars. So go Stars. Who's up? Is it 3-2 to two, Dallas or Tampa Bay? I really don't know. I'm no. not trolling. Tampa Bay. 3-2 two, Tampa. 3-2 Tampa. Tampa. And a two-screen experience tonight because the Stanley Cup final is on, as is the game between the Chiefs and the Ravens, a possible AFC Championship game preview. We're going to get you ready for that. We're going to look back on the Sunday that was, Shireen. And, and, you know, the good news is there wasn't a rash of injuries. Now, plenty of guys got injured, but not like last week. So the, we don't have to spend the entire show reacting to and advancing the ball in that regard. But there are some quarterback issues that are emerging three weeks into the regular season and let's begin with the Chicago Bears we explained yesterday that coach Matt Nagy was going to make a decision last night along with his offensive coaching staff as to who the quarterback would be the decision has been made here is Matt Nagy announcing it earlier today got up this morning and went through the tape and and at the end of it uh, we decided that we're going to start Nick Foles uh, as a starter uh, against Indianapolis so um, both quarterbacks are aware of that. Uh, I know it's, you know, for us, it, it's never easy. Um, when you go into these type of situations, I want to credit both of those guys in, in yesterday's situation for being um, really supportive of each other uh, this whole time. Uh, even as hard as that was for Mitch to, to be told that he's, uh, he's you know, Nick's going to go in and, and play. Um, Mitch was, to his credit, was just an awesome supporter of of Nick uh, the rest of that game. And he told he flat out told Nick, I'm going to have your back just like you've had mine uh, from, from the start. I think that that speaks to who he is as well with him speaking to all you guys after uh, after the game, which he doesn't have to do, and he did it. And I think that speaks volumes to Mitch and who he is as a person. So, um, you know, we're, we're still going to support each other as we move forward here. We have a healthy quarterback room. And we're just looking forward to prepping here uh, against the Colts. It really is amazing, Shireen, when you think about it. Take a step back. The Bears start 2-0. Mitch Trubisky, who was named the starter eight days or nine days before the start of the regular season, leads the team back from a 17-point second-half deficit against the Lions. They Hold off the Giants. Yeah, they probably let the Giants back into a game that they shouldn't have. But they're 2-0. They're 2-0. And they're down 16 points in the second half against a team that notoriously blows leads. And Mitch Trubisky did not, through 10 quarters of football, build up 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 enough equity to hold on to the job. It's it's astounding when you think about it. I mean, if there was going to be a benching of Trubisky after three games, we assume they'd at least be one and two maybe 0-3, it's, it's, uh, it's jarring when you think about it. It makes you wonder why Trubisky had the job in the first place. Well, and that's the biggest surprise, Mike, was that he won the job in the first place. And I think if there had been a regular offseason where they got the on-field work and Nick Foles had learned the offense fully, I think Nick Foles would have come out of that with the starting job. And I think that they just felt uncomfortable with Foles and his knowledge of the offense. Now, they kept saying, oh, it's like riding a bike for him. He's been under Matt Nagy before. But then when all was said and done and they named Mitchell Trubisky as a starter, if they went back to 
well, Nick doesn't know the offense well enough. He needs more time in it. Apparently, he knows it well enough because he played really good in the fourth quarter. I would say this. I think Nick Foles is probably, if not the best backup in NFL history, right there with Earl Morrill and maybe some other guys that you could name. Now, he hasn't made a lot of starts, and I think that's the big question mark for him. He's never started more than 11 games in a season. Yeah, and look, there aren't many backup quarterbacks that ever won the Super Bowl MVP award, if any. And uh, Jeff Hostetler is the only one that comes. And was he even the MVP of that game? No, it was Otis Anderson because Hostetler no. didn't do all that much in Super Bowl twenty-five. So uh, it, it's, it's just so strange. They acquire Nick Foles. We assume Nick Foles is going to be the guy. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of checking the boxes. And Trubisky outperformed him, apparently dramatically, in training camp. And Sims and I were talking about this today under the assumption that Foles would get the nod. Apparently, since the moment Trubisky became the starter, Foles performing better in practice, maybe Trubisky not performing as well, but something clicked, something happened, something went down behind the scenes to cause Matt Nagy to have what he described to me yesterday as that gut feeling that the time had come to flip from Trubisky to Foles because again it's the Falcons it's the team that's notorious for blowing leads and if you let Trubisky hang in there and if Trubisky pulls that one off you're giving him an even greater confidence boost instead he's now thrown under the bus and that's the coach's prerogative but from the standpoint of his own confidence he's not going to build that back until Foles either gets injured or gets benched and if I had to pick between the two I'd say injury we have to Keep that on the radar screen. He took a big hit yesterday on the game-winning touchdown pass. He took a big hit on the first touchdown pass he threw as a member of the Jaguars last year, and he broke a collarbone. He's not a big, thick guy that is going to end up withstanding that kind of, of a pounding. So Trubisky had better stay ready, and they better do what they can to keep him at the right mindset so he can come in and perform. Because they're probably going to need him at some point over the next 13 games. Yeah, they probably are, Mike. And it was a good time to, if you're going to make that change, he made it in the game. And you knew when he made it in a game, you don't make it in a game and that backup comes in and leads you to a victory and then you're going to go back to the other guy. That's just, that wasn't going to happen. I think we all knew that. I think Mitchell Trubisky probably knew that yesterday as he's standing there on the sideline and Nick Foles is leading them back. But they're through the soft part of their schedule. I mean, these were three games that were winnable. And they won them somehow, some way. They made it harder probably than it should have been, but they won these games. And so now they get in the meat of their schedule, and it was the right time, as Matt Nagy said, that gut feeling because the schedule is going to get harder, and Nick Foles is that guy probably to lead them at least until he gets hurt. I think this is going to be his job. Mitchell Trubisky might have played his last game in Chicago. That is, that is a fact, unless Foles gets hurt. And Nagy told me last night he does not want to go back and forth, which was the strongest clue, I believe, that it was going to be false because if you just had a gut feeling that caused you to remove Mitchell Trubisky, the chances of Trubisky being the guy you put back in with the mandate that you're the guy, no more gut feelings, that's slim. He knows that Foles is the guy. He's known that Foles is the guy. There's a story out there that may never be told because, frankly, we may not care about it if the Bears go down the drain here. But if they end up being a playoff team and end up having some success in the postseason like Nick Foles' teams have had in the past, there's a hell of a story as to why he wasn't the Week 1 and Week 2 starter because maybe he should have been. And 
at this point, it doesn't matter because you're right. He is until further notice. And I think the only way Trubisky is back on the field for the Bears is if Foles gets injured or if they come up with some sort of specialty package where he's almost like a Taysom Hill type of a figure. We're going to talk about Taysom Hill coming up later in the show. But Sims and I spitballed about that in the offseason. The possibility that Foles is a starter, you still find a way to get Trubisky onto the field because he's extremely athletic. Yeah, he is athletic. He can make plays. I went and looked at his stats, and the wins, the losses, the all the stats, they're they are okay. I mean, they're not great, but they're okay. And, and he's going to be good enough that somebody's going to give him a job next year, but he's also good enough that he can help you this year. Even if it's as your backup quarterback, he can help you this year. And the Bears think they have a really good team. They think they have as good a team as they had a couple years ago, and they should have should have won that playoff game against the Eagles, if not for the clank off the off the goalpost uh, on the field goal. So they think they have a good team. So he's he needs to be ready. He needs to stay involved. I think he has a really good mindset. That's what's probably impressed me more about him than anything else that he's in on the field. And the bottom line is this, assuming that Foles stays healthy on Sunday against the Colts, win or lose, because that's not an easy game for the Bears. Ten days from now, Thursday night football, Super Bowl 52 reunion and NFC Central reunion, although that's a lesser reunion than having Nick Foles and Tom Brady on the field together again. Prime time. You know, we're paying the penance this week with Broncos Jets. We're getting the payoff next week with Buccaneers, Bears, Tom Brady, and Nick Foles, and, and a game that, that could have significant implications for both teams if both teams continue their winning ways. But uh, you're, you're right. The easy part of the schedule is over now, and you've got games coming up against the Bucks, the Rams, the Saints, the Titans. They play the Vikings twice. They have to go to Green Bay. So uh, Bears uh, 3-0, and and we'll see where they go from here. In Washington, it started off 1-0. They're now 1-2, and two, and Dwayne Haskins had four turnovers yesterday, two fumbles. One was recovered by him, one by the other team, three interceptions. And yesterday, Ron Rivera said he's not going to pull the plug on Dwayne Haskins based on one game. However, however, a caveat was applied by Coach Rivera today. Here he is. There is. I mean, again, and, 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 and you brought up the point, and it's a very good point, is that there are guys in that locker room that are playing well enough for us to win. And again, we have to make sure everybody is playing well enough to win at that point. And there is a, there there is a, there is a, a a cutoff point for me. There is. Where the cutoff point is remains to be seen. But the question becomes: If and when Dwayne Haskins is benched, and look, that's significant because this is the 15th overall pick from the 2019 draft. New coaching staff, new regime in Washington, new culture, new name, new everything. If he ends up getting benched, I don't know what you do with him after that. Do you keep him around as a very expensive backup? Do you find someone that may want to trade for him? That's a after-the-season type thing, unless there's somebody that would swoop in during the season and want him. I doubt that happens before the Tuesday after Week 8. But then the question is, is it Kyle Allen, who has the equity built up with Ron Rivera from their time together last year in Carolina, or is it Alex Smith, one of the all-time great comeback stories in the NFL after having that serious broken leg, the infection that nearly ended his life and or resulted in the amputation of that leg, if he comes back and plays, and he can play like he did two years ago, if that's the case, then this team is still very much alive in a division where one and two has them tied for first place, Shereen. Yeah, no question about it. And that's the thing. They play in the NFC East where where they're tied for the lead. But 
you know, if you look at this Washington team, that defense is very good. But this is not a team that's going to contend this year. They're building. They're in the first year with Ron Rivera. They didn't get the real offseason program that they needed with him. I think he's going to build a great program. And to me, you let Dwayne Haskins play this year. You see what you have in him. You decide if he is your quarterback of the future by letting him play, not sitting him on the bench. And we all want to see Alex Smith play. As you said, one of the greatest comeback stories in NFL history. We never even thought he would get to this point, and he has. We'd love to see him play, but I think as an organization, you have to know what you have in Dwayne Haskins, and I'm not sure they know yet. He didn't play very many snaps in college until his last year there. Then he played a bunch of snaps, and then he was on and off last year and looked really good in those last six quarters. And now this year you look at him, he has four touchdowns, three interceptions, and his 6.2 yards per attempt is 30th in the NFL. So, you know, they've got to figure out what they have in him. And I know the pet cat is Kyle Allen. He's not your quarterback of the future. you got nothing in him. He's going to be a backup for you from now on. He knows your offense. I don't see him playing. I think it's either Alex Smith or Dwayne Haskins, but I think you stick with Haskins. Even if you have a chance to win the division and you think one of those other quarterbacks is better, I think you take your lumps, as Ron Rivera said yesterday, with Dwayne Haskins and figure out if you need to go a different direction next year. At one point, Rivera said today that the other players on offense deserve better, which that is more damning than saying there's a cutoff point, and it just feels like the challenge has been set for Dwayne Haskins, almost like in the offseason where Dwayne Haskins was the subject of comments from Ron Rivera suggesting Rivera was ambivalent about him and maybe he wasn't sold on him. And I think that was intended to prod Dwayne Haskins to get himself into better shape, to work harder, to try to advance his game to the proverbial next level. Got a lot of praise after week one for the halftime speech that Haskins gave to the team while Rivera was getting a planned IV as part of his cancer treatment. And they went out and they erased a 17-point deficit. They were down 10 at the half. They won the game. Everything's great. Two weeks later, everything's not great. It's amazing how quickly that pendulum can, can shift in the NFL. But, but look, you've got to win games. And if you don't win games, these questions are going to linger. And if you have four turnovers as a quarterback, that's not going to keep you on the field. And that raises some real questions about the team. And again, the good news, they're in the NFC East. Now, even though there's an extra playoff team now in each conference, I still don't like the fact that there are four four-team divisions per conference I don't have a solution other than maybe expanding the league from 32 to 36 and having six team divisions would that work three six team divisions per conference and then you have 36 total teams at least you take away one of these junk garbage potential playoff berths based upon being the the least of four bad teams but that's what the nfc east is looking like this year just like it was last year and meanwhile the nfc west is murderer's row seemingly from top to bottom although arizona would suggest otherwise after its performance against the lions yesterday all right let's stay in the nfc east the eagles winless well but they have a tie oh two and one 12 years after they tied the Bengals, and donovan McNabb learned that there could be ties in football the Eagles and the Bengals got together again, and they had another tie, 23-all. The question inevitably has emerged regarding whether or not there's a short leash on supposed franchise quarterback Carson Wentz. Here's Coach Doug Peterson talking about that potential topic earlier today. Doug, what would it take for you to at least look at the possibility of trying a different quarterback? No, no, you don't, you don't go there. It's that's a knee-jerk reaction. That's a reaction to, you know, to to you know things that that sometimes are you know the 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 
the aura that's out there, right? I mean, that's that's not what we believe internally, um, and and we're going to continue to get better. Carson Carson's our quarterback. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get it fixed. He's gonna he's gonna get it fixed. And look, here's the reality: at some point, you would bench Carson Wentz. At some point, you know, if he has an interception every drive of a game for three straight games, at some point you got to get him off the field. So it's not a knee-jerk reaction if it lasts and if it compounds itself and it keeps getting worse and worse. And I really do believe, as Phil Simms pointed out on Twitter yesterday, Carson Wentz spends too much time treating the the plays, each given play, like it's the last play of the game. It's like he's trying to score 20 points with one throw. He feels that urgency and he tries to do too much. And I was on radio in Toronto earlier today, and this topic came up. And, and look, I think what's going on in Philadelphia is simple. They gave up a lot to get Carson Wentz when they moved up to the second spot in the draft in 2016. Then they made the choice of Wentz over Nick Foles when they could have, they could have decided that Foles is their guy. And there's some people who think that they should have decided Foles was their guy after the 2018 season when Foles led them to a Super Bowl 2017 and then to the final eight in 2018. Then... They turn around and they give Carson Wentz the franchise quarterback contract. I mean, they keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down on Wentz. Your hands are tied at this point, Shireen. You can't turn your back on Wentz. You have gone all in with him repeatedly just because he's struggling through three games this season. And I agree with it. You can't, at this point, entertain the possibility of benching Carson Wentz. You have to let him work through it. You've already hitched your wagon to him, and it's not going to unhitch that easily. Well, and if Nick Foles was your backup, (laughs) as is Chicago, then it would make that decision far easier. Then you would probably look at your backup quarterback and just at least give Wentz a chance to sit back and and reassess and and kind of start over maybe this season. But Jalen Hurts, you're not playing Jalen Hurts. I mean, he played, what, three snaps on Sunday and, and had two rushes for eight yards. You're not playing him. I mean, Carson Wentz is still your best hope. He's 33rd in passer rating. He had seven interceptions in each each of the past three seasons. He has six already this season and has a fumble with three touchdowns. I mean, he's just been terrible uh, so far. But they have hitched their wagon to him. They don't have an option behind him. They have to see what they have. They're a half game out in the division. And I'll say this in, in Carson Wentz's defense. He has no weapons. He lost Dallas Goddard, and he lost Deshaun Jackson in the first half of that game yesterday. And he had one guy he could throw to, and that's Ertz. That's it. I mean, the other guys are guys maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't heard of, but he didn't have many weapons. And and I think that's a big thing hurting him right now, too. And I think they live in that that uh, mindset. They thrive in the mindset where their backs are against the wall and their backs aren't against the wall yet. When they were five and seven last year, something clicked and it happened in 2018. We, we wrote them off. We left them for dead and something clicked. And they're a team that's capable of getting hot when they feel that desperation. Well, they're feeling that desperation now. It really is stunning to think that the Eagles fans out there who should still be fairly happy with the fact that this team won a Super Bowl less than three years ago, are willing to get rid of everybody. I mean, like, who do we fire? Do we fire Wentz? Do we fire Peterson? Do we fire the GM, Howie Roseman? Do we get Jeff Lurie to sell the team? You got a Super Bowl win out of this group. And, yes, it was Nick Foles instead of Carson Wentz for the playoff run, but but I just think that it makes a little sense to be patient, especially in this crazy upside-down year where some teams just are going to have a harder time 
getting things clicking early than other teams. And, uh, you know, yesterday's game, hey, they came out of it with a tie. It wasn't a loss. but uh, And they're in a division where there's still plenty of time. They're a half game back, right? One and two is first place. Yeah. Oh, two and one, I guess, is a yeah. half game back. I don't know what to call it because it doesn't happen all that often to even properly articulate it. But things could be worse. They could be in the NFC West, and they play the 49ers this week, speaking of the NFC West, on Sunday Night Football. All right, Anthony Lynn, the Chargers head coach, won't roll, rule out quarterback Tyrod Taylor this week and you know I I guess I guess we we saw yesterday when the Chargers played the Panthers why Anthony Lynn was saying a week ago that Justin Herbert's a backup for a reason it's just amazing to think that Herbert was as good as he was against the defending champions and then the Chargers just couldn't get it done I haven't watched that game closely yet but to think that the Panthers 0-2 went in there and beat the Chargers just seven days after they took the Chiefs to the limit was stunning. But Tyrod Taylor could be healthy as soon as this week and could be back on the field as the starting quarterback for the Chargers, Shereen. Yeah, and he's got a decision to make. And, you know, he said Tyrod Taylor multiple times. Tyrod Taylor was his starter moving forward even after the the injury in week one. And we all thought Herbert was going to get the job and keep the job after what happened in week two. And then week three, obviously he passed for over 300 yards but didn't get it done against the Panthers. And so uh, Anthony Lynn did say today that he's going to – the most important thing is to get – Tyrod Taylor healthy, and then he can make that decision. But he didn't automatically say, Tyrod Taylor is my starting quarterback again like he did. He was so adamant in saying that after week one. But I would think Tyrod Taylor's going to come back in when he is ready to, when he's healthy and ready to play. I would think Tyrod Taylor is going to be their quarterback, and Justin Herbert can go back to the bench, sit and watch. Two really good starts for a rookie quarterback over 300 yards, especially the week two game. Uh, and figure things out as they move forward for for the rest of the season. I, you know, he, Anthony Lynn said he's going to be a good quarterback. I think we've seen enough to know that he is. And they've got the tour of the old man quarterbacks coming up, 43-year-old Tom Brady this week, and then 41-year-old Drew Brees the next week. It could be the youngster. It could be Tyrod Taylor. Who knows? It could be Easton Stick. At one point yesterday, he had his helmet on and was getting ready to come <laughs> in because Justin Herbert looked to have been injured, but he ultimately missed no playing time. Injury department now. The Seattle Seahawks may be without Jamal Adams this week. He's day-to-day with the groin strain that knocked him out of yesterday's game in the fourth quarter. Uh, Look, Shereen, you were watching the game. We were in the middle of getting ready for football night in America, and actually we were on the air. You told me he came off the field, threw his helmet, and uh, you know it was obvious he wasn't coming back to the game, even though they listed him as doubtful. Even though the Seahawks are being driven by their offense, if they don't have Jamal Adams, the defense – definitely is is uh, an easier nut to crack than uh, than with Adams on the field so they need him there yeah they definitely need him there especially not getting the pass rush which they haven't had they're 32nd Mike in total defense this is a team that was built around defense for so many years looks like they probably should have re-signed Jadavion Clowney they should have made that move they didn't make it they're not getting the quarterback guys are running free back there and it's going to make it even harder without Jamal Adams. He left on the Cowboys' touchdown drive, and then obviously wasn't in there on the Cowboys' field goal drive, and then on the last drive when the Seahawks finally put it away with an interception. So he missed most of those last three drives that the Cowboys had, and and they moved down the field on the first two and had a chance, obviously, uh, on the third drive, too, before the interception. So they need him in the lineup. Uh, he may miss this week. Hopefully he doesn't miss long for the Seahawks because they're not as good of it. <laughs> they're already 32nd. They can't get any worse. But they're already not a good defense, but they're a better defense with him in there. 
You mentioned the pass rush. One thing the Seahawks could have done, Shereen, they could have signed Alden Smith. I've only watched half of that yep. game back from yesterday. Alden Smith was a force of nature in that he game. It's easy to say he had three sacks. No, he first, first snap deflects a pass second snap gets a sack there was another play where they double teamed him and he slipped through them and he tripped up Russell Wilson for a one-yard gain he was constantly affecting the play all game long from that kind of upright two two point stance position on either side of the line and he's still getting himself in a game shade he's still he's still not nearly as lean as he was when he was getting it done for the 49ers but four sacks in three games, he's back to where he was early in his career when he was averaging just over a sack a game. So it's great to see. And he was available for anyone who wanted him. And the Cowboys are getting the benefit of it, even though it didn't help them ultimately win the game yesterday. Another thing that happened in the Cowboys-Seahawks game, Tristan Hill, Cowboys defensive lineman, when tackling Chris Carson and attached to one leg, did a barrel roll, caused a knee sprain for Chris Carson, reportedly no suspension for Tristan Hill. Pete Carroll said today on radio that he's pissed at what happened. And K.J. Wright takes to Twitter and says this needs to be addressed ASAP. Doing dirty, malicious bleep like this can end someone's season. This is clearly intentional and getting fined isn't enough. I'm all for guys playing hard, but I have zero tolerance for this. And he's right. This wasn't because people have tweeted at me a video of Seahawks form tackling technique where you wrap up, you hit the ground and you roll. You've got both legs wrapped when you do that. Not one leg where the rest of the body is in one place and you're trying to rip the leg off of the body as you spin over with the one leg. That was clear to me, an intent to injure. I'm stunned that a suspension isn't on the table. This seems to be exactly the kind of thing the NFL should try to keep guys from doing, especially in a year when they're concerned that there's going to be a rash of COVID-19 cases that could make guys unavailable. You don't want guys being unavailable because they've been deliberately injured after they've been tackled, Shereen. Yeah, I saw that play live, Mike, and I immediately said that's a dirty play. And it didn't surprise me who was doing it. One of the worst draft picks in Cowboys history. They used a second-round pick in 2019 on Tristan Hill. There was a reason. There were all kinds of red flags that he didn't start in his final year at UCF. And so then he comes to Dallas. He misses meetings. He falls asleep in a meeting with Isaiah Thomas when he was giving him a pep talk. Uh, it fell asleep in that many. All kinds of fines. Too. Everything that could possibly go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> He ended up playing seven games, hardly any snaps, was not good as a rookie, uh, and then comes out this year and, and is a starter only because Gerald McCoy gets hurt, and now he does this. So it was not a surprise that this was Tristan Hill. He's been, he's been terrible for the Cowboys. He should be suspended for this. It was a dirty play, and he continues to do bad things, wrong things, uh, in a Cowboys uniform in, in less than two years. It's amazing. When you ask the NFL about something like this on the day it happens, they always say, well, we're going to take a look at it. We're going to study it. And to have NFL media reporting first thing in the morning on Monday is not going to be suspended. I mean, that tells me someone's prejudged it already at the league office. That's where they're getting it from. It's an NFL-owned operation. I just would like to think there's a more deliberate process that 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 is applied here. And I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like they won't suspend a guy because they don't want to pick a fight that they're afraid they may lose because it's not an in-house appeal. It's an independent process. And I think there have been times where they've backed off 
on a potential suspension. And also, they think if we suspend the guy, we make it a bigger story and more people see it and it makes us look worse. It's better to just let it die a quiet death. I don't like that. It was a dirty play. It should have resulted in a suspension. And, uh, you know, it it hasn't happened yet, which tells me it's not going to happen. Usually we hear about it on Monday afternoon so they can expedite the appeal process. But it, it it was not a good look. And hopefully if he does something like that again, hopefully he won't. But if he does, he'll be suspended. All right, from Tristan Hill to Taysom Hill. He's one of the subjects of today's Monday afternoon quarterback, a.k.a. MPMQB. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. It was a tough break, tough play. Um, it's a give read. You know, we have a chance for a big play, and uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, certainly, he works his butt off like all of you know, it's just more of a technique thing. So if we have to look at how much, but um, that that was we had just stopped him on the fourth down play, and uh, and so we got the ball in, in real good field position. We have a chance to to make some make something of it, and unfortunately, we didn't. That's Sean, uh, Sean Payton talking about Taysom Hill after last night's game. And it really was a critical moment when Taysom Hill had his fumble. The momentum had swung dramatically in New Orleans' favor after a horrendous spot on a fourth and short play by the Packers was corrected by replay review. And the Saints had the ball. They gained seven yards on first down, second and three. It's a read option play. And what happened was Darius Smith, he, he, he delayed his commitment long enough to freak out Taysom Hill and to bait Hill into not handing off. And then Zadarius Smith went straight at Taysom Hill. And if, and if Smith had committed to pursuing Latavius Murray, that would have been a huge play because Josh Hill, who was lined up in the backfield, ran right by Zadarius Smith to do some lead blocking. They had a convoy set up. All that Taysom Hill had to do was get past Darius Smith, and, and he would have gained 20, 25, 30 yards or more, but it wasn't to be. But that that has become the main focal point for all the Taysom Hill truthers out there that think he's not very good. I think the reality is they're deliberately not using him as much as they used to because they're trying to develop him as a quarterback. I don't think that. I know that. When you look at his reps, especially special teams, dramatically plummeted. His participation in the offense has dropped repeatedly each week from – Almost, what, 40%, I think it was, in the playoff game against the Vikings, or at least between 30 and 40, and it's in the 20s, and it's getting lower and lower. I think they're just working on getting him ready to play quarterback next year if Drew Brees retires. And as a result, when he's on the field, he really isn't doing all that much this year, Shereen. And then when you're on the field and you get a chance to run the ball and you fumble, it makes it look even worse. Yeah, it sure does. 44 offensive snaps this season. That's 23%. 22 special team snap. That's 24%. He played 13 of 61 snaps yesterday. And, you know, to me, that's not enough for Taysom Hill in this offense. I just think he's special with what he can do with the ball in his hands. He's had nine total touches and thrown one pass. And at some point, they're going to have to take the bubble wrap off of him and let him play, I would think, if they want to do what they have pushed all their poker chips into the middle of the table for, and that's to to win a Super Bowl 
uh, for Drew Brees before he retires. And I think we're seeing the end of Drew Brees' career, and I think it's time. And I think you're going to have to play Taysom Hill and uh, get him ready for 2021 at the same time, but try to do that. But if he, he's got to become a bigger part of this offense if, if they're going to succeed. And I know not having Michael Thomas, I get all that. He's special. He's one of the top receivers in the league. Uh, obviously set the NFL record last year with 149 catches. We know what he can do. We know how much they miss him. But because they miss him, I think you need to get Taysom Hill more involved. Yeah, and, and see, that's the balance. If you are focused on developing him as a quarterback, how much time are you spending at practice on that? Right. How much time at practice are you spending on the plays where Taysom Hill is part of your offense. I mean, they're still using him on offense, but not like they did in the past. And it really does make me wonder when I see two carries yesterday for six yards, including obviously the play with the fumble, one catch, no pass attempts. He's got one pass attempt for the year, and it was completed for a 38-yard gain in garbage time of the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I just I, – I feel like that, that there's a sensitivity to Drew Brees that is at play here with all the talk about him not being able to throw the ball down the field. I think at some level, there's a concern that they are upstaging Drew Brees and that they are sticking a knife in the wound and twisting it a little bit by displaying the, the deep ball uh, power that, that Taysom Hill has. Otherwise, because you, you do need to use it. You've, you've got to keep defenses honest in order to manipulate your offense the way they do with the short passes in the running game. And if Drew Brees isn't going to throw the ball deep down the field, then Taysom Hill needs to throw the ball deep down the field once in a while just to make sure that they don't crowd the short zones. And and eventually someone's going to do it. Once they realize they're just not going to throw the ball down the field, they're, they're going to bring the safeties up and they're going to try to take all of that stuff away. And maybe that's when they, they do the rope-a-dope and start throwing the ball down the field or letting Hill do it. But it's just confusing to me. It's an awkward spot to be in when they've spent so much money on Hill and when it's becoming clear that it's a down payment on the future not a representation that they're going to take what he did in the playoffs and expand it dramatically. And and the fact that he's not involved in special teams to the extent that he was, he's gone from 84% against the Vikings in the playoff game to 16% yesterday. They're using him dramatically less in special teams, which tells me that, that this is about developing him as a quarterback. But, you know, if you're not winning games and he's not involved, it's almost like the Odell Beckham dynamic a little bit well if you involved this guy a little bit more maybe you'd be winning games because you're not winning games with him being involved on a limited basis so I I don't know I don't know what they need to do uh, but the question is going to be there as long as they're both losing and we're not seeing much of Taysom Hill yeah absolutely and and they need to get him involved he's such a big part of that offense or can be such a big part as you repeatedly have said in that playoff game last year he was the best player on the field he can be the best player on the field anytime he's on the field if you let him do what he's capable of doing yeah I agree with you completely and it's not like he's slower it's not like he's got less skill than he had last year it's just he needs to have the ball in his hands in order to show what he can do. But it doesn't help when you do get an opportunity that you fumble the football. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the Packers played that read option extremely well, and that's how it worked out. All right. Uh, 
Let's change gears back to the Philadelphia Eagles uh, as we second guess some of the things that were done. And look, there's so much that's wrong with the Eagles that we could we could spend a whole show on it. But there was a curious decision made by Coach Doug Peterson in overtime, punting from fourth and seventeen from their own forty nine with nineteen seconds left instead of trying to get in position for a field goal that would have won the game. Here's Doug Peterson talking about that earlier today. You know, thinking about it, fourth and seven, um, 19 seconds on the clock. That, to me, looking at the decision, um, there, there's there's a couple of things. You know, yeah, okay, you go for it, right? 19 seconds, um, you got a chance for, I mean, who knows what, what, what could happen. A big play. You know, DPI, um, you know, we didn't have any timeout, so if the ball were completed inbounds or whatever, it'd be hard to hustle up there and kick the field goal. Uh, if there were, say, five, six, seven seconds left on the clock, the decision to go for it would be a little bit easier, I, I think, to make in that in that situation. You know, either way you slice it, uh, my decision, um, looking back, I probably would have would elected to maybe, maybe go for it in that situation and, and try, you know, try a ball down the field. Yeah, I misread that. I said 4th and 17. 4th and 7, it's even more egregious. 4th and 7 from your own 49 with 19 seconds left. Now, you are giving the Bengals a chance to steal the game, but you either want to win or you don't. And how many times do we hear that, hey, we're playing for the win, we're being aggressive, we want to win, we want to win. And and that, hey, that tie, you know, I have a feeling it's either going to be the thing that keeps them just on the outside or the thing that gets them just in by the skin of their teeth. We don't have to worry about tiebreakers if the Eagles are in position to compete for the division crown, unless there are other ties involving the Cowboys, Washington, or the Giants. Uh, but but still, I, th- I think in that setting, especially now that we're wired to accept coaches being aggressive and going for it on fourth down, I think in that setting, you got to go for it. Yeah, Mike, I'll take you through the whole sequence. Well, let's back up. They they tie the score late in the fourth quarter. And, I mean, Doug Peterson's known for going for two, right? He opts to kick the extra point and tie it. And then they go into overtime. There's six total punts in overtime. But they did have fourth and seven with 19 seconds left. He opts to send the field goal unit out. They're going to try to kick the field goal. They have a false start. They back up five yards. Then he decides to punt. They have a delay game. Then it was 4th and 17. I get not going for it on 4th and 17. I get it. Now you're you're backed way up. But they were at the Cincinnati 41 with a 4th and 7 with 19 seconds left. Don't kick the field goal. To me, you go for that. And I think it said everything about his fate in his quarterback at this point. And my question is, do you lose Carson Wentz and do you lose your locker room by not trying the two-point conversion at the end of the fourth quarter and then not going for it on fourth down in overtime. Well, and I can understand when you're at home playing for, even though you don't have a crowd there, um, being conservative, playing for overtime, and thinking you're going to continue that momentum into overtime. And, and that you're, you know, because it felt like, the Eagles had everything moving in their direction at that point, and maybe they could just punch it in and get the win in overtime. Of course, that wasn't to be. Now I understand the sequence. Now, I look, the 58-yard field goal, yeah, I think you st- I'm a little closer on that, whether you go for it or kick the field goal, but it ultimately doesn't matter because they, they, uh, they had the false start. But 4th uh, and 12, that's the midpoint 
where you're on the 46. Yeah. I think that's the one that I'm focused on as you definitely, definitely line up there and uh, and try to go for it and try to get the 12 yards, try to get the first down, get the field goal and go away because you need to trust your defense. With that little time left, because let's say the, the play takes five seconds, with that little time left, unlikely Joe Burrow is going to get the Bengals in position for a field goal that would have won the game. And if they do, more power to them. They deserve the win in that point. So Randy Bullock's uh, going to miss we, it. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, we're talking about the guy who injured two <laughs> calf muscles, missing a 31-yarder week one against the Chargers. So... The Eagles at least got the tie, but just another reason why there's this feeling that there's just this dark cloud. But take heart, Eagles fans. Number one, you've got a fairly freshly minted Super Bowl trophy. And number two, you're in the NFC East. Don't don't throw in the towel on the season yet. There's still a lot of football to be played. Although the reality is, at some point, if they would win that division, they're going to come across a team like the Rams or the Seahawks or the 49ers, and I don't know how they would hold up in the postseason against a team like that. Long way to go before we find out whether or not they get there. Not a long way to go left in this Monday edition of PFTPM. We're going to answer some of your questions on this Monday edition of the program when we return right after this. Look, I'm not going to apologize for being aggressive. You know, I challenge these guys to come out and be aggressive and fight. You know, I can self-scout myself and understand when it is and isn't time to go for it. Um, but that moment in the game, I want to be aggressive. All right, and you can look at me as a coach. They may not be the best decision at the time, but I'm not going to apologize for being aggressive in that situation. I have confidence in our players, and I want to make sure that we play that confidence by letting them play aggressive. Oh, it's catching on. Chris Sims, self-scout myself, self-scout yourself, self-scout thyself. And, and, and you know, it, it almost sounds normal now. Sims and I laugh about it so much, but it, it pops up from time to time. And uh, I don't know if Chris is just having that kind of influence on the culture. It's not necessarily a good influence, but it's an influence nevertheless, Shereen. <laughs> yes, it is. And we hear it a lot. And you'll hear Bill Belichick say that a lot. And I think he... Might have gotten that from either Bill Belichick or Jason Garrett because that was a familiar uh, Jason Garrett refrain, too. Uh, let's uh, open up the mailbag. The first one relates to the New York Giants, who are now 0-3. KP for three says the Giants look like they didn't even belong on the field against an extremely banged-up 49ers team. Is Dave Gettleman, the GM of the team, on the hot seat, or does ownership have his back knowing this was going to be a tough year to begin with? Shereen, what do you think? Well, you know, I question a lot of things that Dave Gettleman's done, but I do like the hiring of Joe Judge. I, I just, he's impressed me with everything he's done uh, during the training camp, the buildup. He seemed like he had won over the players. Now, it hasn't gone right on the field. I get that. And Daniel Jones, to me, looked like he's regressed. He's, he's ranked ahead of only Carson Wentz there. You got three of the, three of the four NFC East quarterbacks are among the five worst quarterbacks in the NFL so far, and Daniel Jones has just not looked good uh, so far. So I do have some questions, obviously, about the way they're playing and the way they're losing. The 49ers had all those injuries yesterday, 31st in offense and tied for 12th in defense. But – I think he has a right coach, and I think he's going to be given more time uh, because of the fact that the weird offseason that they had and Joe Judge being his first season with this staff. All right, I'll just say this before we move on to the next question. I don't like the idea of firing the GM and keeping the coach. They've had 
too many guys on different tracks. And, and that, that is a sign of dysfunction with any NFL team because the new GM is instantly going to want to hire his own head coach. So either keep them both or get rid of them both, whatever they do after this year. And you shouldn't get rid of them both after this year. Another question from the PFTPM Posse. Does Arthur Blank regret not firing Dan Quinn more after the 28-3 Super Bowl loss after the first half of last season or after last season ended? Should he fire him now? I, I, I think that now what's gone on would create regret that he didn't fire Dan Quinn at the end of last season. I think that is the right time to do it because there's no guarantee that an interim coach is going to make the situation any better. They've got two former head coaches on that staff working for Dan Quinn, Dirk Cutter, the offensive coordinator who was the coach of the Buccaneers, and Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator who was the coach of the Buccaneers. The defense is horrendous. The offense isn't much better, especially when it's time to hold a lead. I don't know that you definitely make the team better or that you even remotely make the team better by getting rid of Dan Quinn. I feel like in a year like this where you have the benefit of not having to worry about fans who won't show up because they're not going to show up anyway for the most part, I think you just ride it out and you, you get the right coach, presumably an offensive head coach, after the season ends. All right. Um, real quick point before we move on to the Monday night game. Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach, said within the hour that he does not believe Tristan Hill had intent to injure Chris Carson. He was just simply trying to tackle him, and that was part of the tackling maneuver. I don't buy it. McCarthy's saying what he has to say. I, I think it's baloney. I think, you know, you either trust what the people are saying or you trust your lying eyes, Shireen. Uh, does it change at all for you that McCarthy is defending Tristan Hill? No. No, and I, I think he probably went over his locker room and went over Tristan Hill saying that. But anybody who watched that play, I don't think you can watch the play and not think it's a dirty play. I don't know if I'm in the locker room. I don't know how I feel about it because I don't want guys tackling me that way from no, other teams. And you're opening the door for that to happen. All right, we're opening the door tonight on the Chiefs and the Ravens, both teams undefeated, the best two teams in football. Chiefs number one or two in most power rankings. Ravens number one or number two. Some people put the Ravens ahead of the Chiefs after the Chiefs dodged a bullet against the Chargers and you know it makes the Chiefs look a little more wobbly considering the Chargers lost to the Panthers on the same field a week later I feel like it's time for the Ravens to to really assert themselves and they're going to come in they're number one talented and number two pissed off and I think that that edge that the fact that they've lost to the Chiefs each of the last two regular seasons, didn't get a shot at the Chiefs in the playoffs last year. I just feel like that intangible makes the difference. There's enough talent with the Ravens, and there's going to be enough attitude that they're going to do what they have to do to score at least one more point than the Chiefs, recognizing the Chiefs are going to score their points, but the Ravens are good enough to score at least one more. Game of the year, Mike, and it seems so early to have the game of the year, but I am so excited about watching this game tonight. I just think it's going to be a tremendous game. The two former NFL MVPs over the last two seasons going at it. I just think this is going to be outstanding, and I agree with you. I think the Ravens are going to win this game. They want to make a statement. I think they're going to want it a little bit more than the Chiefs do. I realize Patrick Mahomes is special, and he's going to make his plays, and they're going to be in this thing until the end. But the Ravens were the best team. People seem to forget that. During the regular season last year, the Ravens were the best team in the NFL, went 14-2. and They're a really good team. They're every bit as good as the Chiefs. Number one, number two, as you said, and if you're going to pick a Super Bowl winner, I think it's going to be one of these two, and I think they're going to meet again probably in the AFC Championship game. 
Last year, the, the Ravens were 2-2 two and two after four games. They lost to the Chiefs. They lost to the Browns. They've already avenged the loss to the Browns. Not that that's all that hard to do, but wait, the Browns have won two games since then. The Chiefs, if they beat them, the Ravens will run their streak in the regular season to 15 consecutive wins, which is amazing. And you'll wonder when it's going to end because one thing John Harbaugh told me after the week one win over the Browns, 38-6, to they, they, look, it could have... It could have been a closer game, and it would have been if the Browns had just stayed committed to the run because they could run all over the Ravens. They were having a harder time passing the ball. But they're not running away from 14-2. and two. They're not doing the Bill Belichick slam the door on last year and forget about it. Last year doesn't matter. What they're doing is they're embracing it. They're using that as their standard for this year. They're trying to live up to what they did last year and surpass it. And it's working so far. Now, it's only two games. It's small sample size, but they uh, they manhandled the Browns, and then they manhandled the Texans, who were a playoff team a year ago. And I think the Ravens' win over the Texans in Houston was even more impressive than what the Chiefs did to the Texans to start the season. So, look, the good thing about them playing this early is it won't feel like a rematch when the rematch happens in the postseason. You know, I always hate it when there's a rematch in the playoffs of a game that was just played in December. We will have forgotten about this one by the time the Ravens and the Chiefs get together again, if they get together again, if that rematch isn't disrupted by some upstart AFC team like the Bills or the Titans or the Patriots. It's weird to call them an upstart. But but don't get in the way of our Ravens-Chiefs-AFC championship game. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. I mean, I think everybody... Outside of those cities who have a chance to do it, wanted to see this game last year in the AFC Championship game. And, of course, it didn't happen because the Ravens lost in that first game against the Titans last year. And so now they get a chance to come back and redeem themselves, probably get a chance to redeem themselves in the postseason. And I just think they're so good. I mean, I picked them to win the Super Bowl this year. I thought they were the best team last year. I thought they probably should have won the Super Bowl last year, but they didn't get it done. And you can't, as we've said repeatedly, and we've tried to tell Kyle Shanahan, you can't just fast forward to that point again. You have to start all over and build it up. And this is a different team than last year, but they are still so talented. And both of these teams are really, really good. And probably as good as we've seen in the NFL over the last few years. Really good teams, and it's, it's going to be fun. Can't wait to see this game. The thing you got to remember about playing the Chiefs is they're like that great basketball team that's going to go on an 18-2 run at some point. You have to accept it. That's right. You have to deal with it, and then you have to react to it. And it happened last year. They ran out to a big lead, and the Ravens tried to come back. But it was two years ago. It was one of the best games of the regular season. That was kind of when the legend of Patrick Mahomes was cemented. That was the game with the no-look pass. That was the game with a pass before that that was just a laser down the sideline that didn't get appreciated the way that it should. And it was the play with that long fourth down where he drew everybody to one side and he uncorked the long pass to Tyreek Hill. And it's like all the Ravens players were standing around. So it should be a great game tonight. It is kind of a shame that it's coming this early, but there's nothing wrong with that. Let's go ahead and have the game played, and then we can anticipate and hope that the two teams get together again later in the season. Shereen, give me an unexpected hero for tonight's game. Who unexpected hero. You put me on the spot, Mike. I'll go meet Cole Hardman. I don't know. Let's give him a – it's time for him okay, to – for Nicole Hardman that's to step up. One. Sammy Watkins, we, we don't know whether or not he's going to be active or not. He had the concussion. He's questionable. Yeah. He has the neck injury. He calls a good if one. If he can't play, 
plug me Cole in and it's time for him to prove that uh, that uh, he was worth the draft pick they used on him. Calais Campbell would be another one I think you might look to to make a play. Got to see a little bit of defense, right? They had a direct snap to Mark Ingram last week too that was a pretty good one <laughs> and uh, he ran for a touchdown, maybe him. We'll see we'll find out. We'll see you tomorrow, but have a great day.